We're in the middle of a, a six-week series on suffering. We've talked about why we have suffering, that we live in a broken and fallen world because of what sin has done. We talk about what, we've talked about what God has done, what God does in suffering, and what it looks like to suffer by faith and with hope. In weeks to come, actually next week, y'all are in for a treat. Sarah DeBoer, who is the director of Journey Counseling, is coming to speak with us about depression. Um, so that's next week. The week after, we're going to talk about the suffering of anxiety. And then the final week, I think it'll be the final week, is suffering, uh, the suffering of persecution. Uh, another way of saying suffering because of what you believe. Jesus said, expect that. So I want us to expect it and I want us to talk about it. Tonight, we're going to talk about the suffering of betrayal. Betrayal. Dictionary.com defines betrayal this way. When someone you trust breaks that trust by doing something that hurts you. It was about five years ago that we brought home our dog from the SPCA in Augusta County. She was this adorable, cute, black lab puppy. As Terry and I were tossing around some name possibilities for her, I said, what about Chiba? I thought of that name because our middle son, Austin, was doing missions work in a place called Chiba, Japan at the time. And we thought that would be a great way to honor him and to remember to pray for the people of Chiba, Japan. So Chiba it was. Soon after that decision, the nickname Chi-Chi developed, which we all thought was pretty cute. A few weeks later, I was at the after-school program. I've, I've been a part of that for a lot of years. I was teaching my fourth and fifth grade boys a Bible lesson. I finished that lesson earlier than some of the other groups, so I had to fill in the time. You know, fourth and fifth grade boys, you give them time, they're going to get rowdy. So I, I thought, okay, i gotta, I got to keep them busy. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to tell them about our new dog. Kids love dogs. I'm going to tell them about our dog. So I told them all about Chiba. I told them about her nickname, and they all busted out laughing. I replayed everything I had said in my head, trying to think in my best Spanish, but I couldn't figure out what was so funny about what I just said. And then one of the boys, bl boys blurted out, you named your dog Boobies. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did what? My Spanish had betrayed me. I was mortified <laughs> and wondering how I was going to explain to their parents why we're an after-school program talking about such things. <laughs> uh, betrayal. Right? It was devastating. Betrayal is a part of life in this broken world. You're going to be hurt by someone you trusted. Some of you already know that hurt. For the sake of our discussion tonight, I'm going to be talking about betrayal in a very broad sense. Any, any way that we've been harmed by another. That might include gossip, it might include lies, bullying, abandonment, broken promises, 
abuse, physical, sexual, emotional. I want to focus specifically on how we can respond to to betrayal in a way that's healing for us and honoring to God. And, And there's a section in Ephesians 4 that's going to help us with that. So if you want to, you can turn to Ephesians 4 and we'll look at verses 25 through 32. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Get out of the way while I read that. Here's what God's word says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 4 talks about three helpful responses when we've been hurt or betrayed by another. First, righteous anger. Second, grace-giving words. And then lastly, forgiveness. Righteous anger, grace-giving words, and forgiveness. Let's look at each of those one at a time. Righteous anger. You see that there in verse 25 and 26. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 26 tells us pretty plainly that there's an anger that is not sinful, that we can be angry and not sin. See, there are things that happen in your life and in our world that should make us angry. Things like rape, racism, abortion, abuse, poverty, trafficking, cancer, shootings, death. We should not be okay with any of these. When we see how deeply our world is broken and when injustice has happened to us or to those that we love, These ought to make us angry, and they should grieve our hearts. If we love what God loves, that which is good and right and true, then there will be righteous anger when things happen that are not good and right and true. On the flip side, one of the implications of verse 26 is that there are ways in which we do sin in our anger. And I probably don't need to tell you that because you know your own heart and I know mine. In verse 31, Paul gives us a list of some of those ways. There are more, but he gives us some bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And malice, that last one, often takes on the form of vengeance. Acting against injustice in a way that creates more injustice.
When we've been hurt, Romans 12 points us to a better way, to a better way. Paul says this in in that chapter, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that's why we don't have to take vengeance in our hands. God will deal with injustice. God will make all things right. He alone is judge of the nations, of all the nations. Vengeance is his, not ours. And so you're in your anger, do not sin. So I was thinking about this passage. I couldn't get the example of Martin Luther King out of my head. When I think about all that was thrown at him. And I can't think of one instance where he took vengeance into his own hands. Why? Because he knew vengeance was God's job, not his. One more thought on anger. If you look back at our Ephesians 4 passage, it says to not let the sun go down on it, which simply is another way of saying deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Don't ignore it. Don't hide it. Don't justify it. Deal with it in your own heart through forgiveness, which we're going to come back and talk about here in just a bit, and deal with it with the other person if at all possible. Go to them. Raise it with them with grace and humility and resolve it as best you can. That's what it means to not let the sun go down on your anger. So the first thing Paul points us to is righteous anger. Maybe a better way to say that is righteousness even in our anger. Righteousness. Second thing he points us to is grace-giving words. Grace-giving words. Look back at 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think 30 follows 29 because when we don't do 29, I think it grieves the Spirit of God. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When something's corrupt, it leads to destruction. When we've been hurt, we often respond with corrupting words, words that tear the other down, or with sarcasm that's laced with poison. Or or maybe by bringing up the faults of the other to a friend, which is just another way of doing gossip. All of these are corrupting talk, and they destroy Paul says that instead our words should be the kind that build up, not tear down. They should be words that give grace, not pain. Take this in for a minute. The words that you and I say have the power to give grace, but they also have the power to bring harm to another. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's not true. You know that. Words hurt. 
Do you realize the power of your words? And do you use them with the appropriate care? The book of James warns us in this regard. He talks about the the power of the tongue. It's kind of a long section, so I'm going to have I'm going to have it here, I think. This comes from James 3. Listen to what he says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, the members of our body, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. I use sarcasm infused with a hint of truth to self-protect. I lift myself up, even if it means I tear you down in the process. I find ways to discreetly shift blame so I don't appear weak or foolish. We all have our ways where our tongue is a poison. And we tend to do all of that and even more when we've been harmed by another. What if instead we used our words to build up, to encourage, to heal, or to restore? What if when we're wronged, we use our words to pray for that person rather than tear into that person? What if we spoke words of kindness to that person rather than spoke evil about that person? What if for every word of sarcasm, we spoke two words of encouragement? Whatever others do to us, let's be a people who speak words that give grace. Righteousness and anger, words that give grace, and then lastly, forgiveness. Look back at 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is when you choose to not hold the debt of someone else's sin against them. Easy to state as a definition, isn't it? But really, really hard to do in practice. And forgiveness is hard because it feels so unjust. We want the other person to hurt in the way that we've been hurt. We want the other person to pay for what them for what they've done. Justice says I demand payment. Forgiveness says your debt is paid. In essence, what you're saying when you forgive is what you took, God can restore, and I hold it against you no more. 
what you took, God can restore. And I will hold it against you no more. We are to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Jesus taught us this very thing in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Some of y'all will remember that story. It's a story about a king who, when he was settling his accounts, he saw that one of his servants owed him 10,000 talents. Modern day translation, that's $3 trillion. He owed a debt he could never pay. So what you need to take away from that. The servant could not pay, so he begged for mercy from the king, and the king forgave him all that debt. The servant went out on his way out of the palace, and he bumped into another servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Modern day, $4,000. And when that servant begged the one who had been forgiven for mercy, using the same words, The first servant choked him and had him thrown into prison. When word of what had happened got back to the king, he had that servant brought to him and thrown into prison saying, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Do y'all see it? As we have been forgiven, we must forgive. And this isn't just a command to forgive, y'all. I think this is the key, the secret to forgiveness. Forgiveness flows from knowing how much you've been forgiven. Do you you see that? Forgiveness flows from knowing how much you've been forgiven. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Think about this. Jesus died on the cross to take away all of your sin. Three trillion dollars worth. A debt you could never pay. Jesus paid it and canceled your debt. The debt of your sin. If he would forgive our three trillion dollar debt how could we not how could we not forgive the 4000 debt 4000 dollar debt of another we forgive much because we have been forgiven so much more before we close out this point on forgiveness I want to make two clarifications on on forgiveness. First, forgiveness and wisdom are not opposed to each other. Forgiveness does not mean you forget, blindly trust, and walk back into abuse again. So, for example, I would not say to one who's been abused, you need to forgive and forget and go back into that relationship. That would be foolish and irresponsible. I would say you need to forgive, but it's okay. It's okay and even biblical to keep your distance until trust and healthy patterns of relating have been restored. 
forgive and be wise. Those two are not opposed to each other. Second clarification about forgiveness is that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. You can't control how the other will respond. If the other doesn't want to reconcile, it's going to be impossible to do so. In that same passage I quoted from before Romans 12, it says, As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So for sure, reconciliation is the ultimate goal, but it's going to require both to work at that. And that's just out of our control, isn't it? You can forgive without being reconciled. Once in a while, I have the privilege of baptizing someone. When I do a baptism, I take that person, it's usually in a church, and it's in front of God's people. I have that person, or if it's a, a child, I, I take that child and I face them toward the congregation, and I tell them, this is their family. This is your family. They're crazy. They're complicated, and yet because of the redeeming work of Jesus, they are beautiful. They're beautiful. Paul wrote these words of Ephesians 4 to the crazy, complicated, beautiful church in a town called Ephesus. That's why it has the name that it has. This just wasn't some, just some document of wisdom. This was written to real-life people who struggled with these things like you and I struggle with these things. Ephesians 4 was written to people who needed to hear it, and they needed to hear it because this is what life in community looks like. It's messy. Christian community, whether it's the local church or this group right here, or maybe it's the house you live in, or maybe it's your family back home. It's messy, isn't it? And why is that? Because every one of those groups is full of sinners. You put two sinners together and what do you get? More sin, right? Like 100% of the time. You're going to have conflict, misunderstanding, confusion, disappointment, expectations not met. You're going to be hurt. The question isn't if, but how will you respond? Which is what I want to force you to think about tonight. How will you respond? Will you forgive? Will your words give grace? And will you not sin in your anger? We've been a people who are forgiven much. Let's also be a people who forgive much. Let's pray. God, much of what we talked about here is just impossible for us. 
and for some of us even unthinkable. But I pray, O oh Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you would, you would help us to believe, help our unbelief. Lord, help us to forgive where we've been bitter or held a grudge. Lord, where we've been reckless with our tongue and, and torn down our neighbor, people for whom Jesus died, people made in the image of God. God, I pray that we would use our tongues to build up and give grace and encourage, speak life and not death and destruction. And God, make us righteous in those things that make us angry. And I pray that we would be angry at the things that you are angry at. That we would love what is good and right and true as you love what is good and right and true because you made those things. Lord, that we would hate what you hate. That we would call evil what you call evil. And then in every sphere, every corner of this planet that you put us, we would work for righteousness and justice and peace. But start with us. Start inside us. God, help us as a people who've been forgiven much to forgive much. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.